Conversations with Catholic Voices. Tackling the tough questions with Daniel Noor and Catholic Voices Australia. Hello listeners, my name is Daniel Noor. You're listening to Conversations with Catholic Voices. I'm talking to Paul Sheehan of Catholic Voices. We're talking about homosexuality in the church. Not just the broad, you know, the statements of uh, the company line, but the tough questions that we are so often asked by our co-workers, by our colleagues, about why the church says this. Has the church done enough? The church has done wrong on these counts. Tough questions need good answers, and that's what we're doing today, Cradio listeners. We're moving on to that perennial issue of the gays, which I just think is a great term. Um, I, I like the use of the definitive particle, especially. The church has focused excessively on homosexuality, abortion, and contraception, disproportionately to other equally important issues like care of the poor, equality, uh, you know, workers' rights, myth or fact. Look, I'd, I'd probably say fact to that one, but with a qualification. You know, Pope Francis quite recently has been heard by a lot of people to say, that we don't need to always focus on issues like abortion and contraception and homosexuality. And I understand what he means because he's saying that when we do that, we come across as judging a person instead of a certain behaviour. What he's highlighting there is that there is a risk in doing that. Having said that, John Paul II pointed out that uh, something like contraception is actually one of the fundamental or is a fundamental mentality that that leads to many other, uh, you know, sinful behaviour. So, you know, I think we're, we are correct that we do need to focus on something like contraception because it's contraception, John Paul II explained, represents the mentality. Uh, it's the mentality of, of a pride and selfish behaviour. A throwaway culture, I've heard that phrase. Yeah, and so he was trying to point out that it leads to a lot of other things. Once you open the door to a mentality such as contraception, you're opening the door to other kinds of behaviour that has that selfish and prideful mentality. Yes, well, that is possibly the most Catholic thing I've heard you say, you know, the, the contraception not being a good thing. We are definitely clear on that one. Uh, now, we're moving on. I want to follow up about this thing of the need for the church to reach out. This is from... A Sydney Morning Herald, which is, you know, the, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fairly reputable newspaper here in Australia. Governor General yes. Quentin Bryce has spoken out about the high suicide rates of young, gay, lesbian and gender diverse people, saying their deaths, Governor General being a kind of, you know, a figure of state, saying their deaths are too high a price to pay. On Tuesday, Miss Bryce said lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual and intersex Australians were six times more likely to take their own lives than mainstream Australians. Now, with all of that in mind, should we not be asking, has the church done enough to reach out to young gay people or young people questioning their sexualities? Yeah, look, I'd, I'd agree with that. We probably haven't done enough. Or what we have done, we've done in the wrong way. We haven't communicated our message well enough. And I yes. think one of the things I was thinking of in regards to this question was, the way Catholics approach these kind of issues and the way the rest of the world approaches the same issue. The, the modern world has this view that a person is what they do. They're, they're kind of defined by their actions. 
and therefore to judge someone's actions is to judge them. And there's this whole, you know, the whole mentality of relativism that says, you know, if it works for you, if a certain behavior or a certain lifestyle works for you, then that's okay, as long as you don't hurt someone else. So, but the Catholic approach to this is always the person deserves dignity and respect and compassion, but we, we condemn the behavior. And so because of this uh, distinction between the two styles, whenever we kind of deliver this message of, um, you know, homosexuality is not a healthy lifestyle, it always comes across as sounding like we're attacking the person and judging the person. So I think we definitely have to look at how we communicate that message a lot better. Well, it does sound very judgy. It's exceedingly judgy. Um, <clears throat> I think this phrase, there are so many ways that I want to go with this. I do love my myth or fact dichotomy, don't you? I just, I, I enjoy it. I don't think anyone could ever find it's getting old. That's impossible. Yeah. Uh, the question I would ask though is, how the hell do you love the person, quote unquote, love the person and hate the sin? which sounds like kind of like fundamentalist Bible speak from the Westboro Baptist Church. Well, nothing sounds as bad as that, but still, it seems like we just, it seems impossible. One of the, one of the things that I've noticed in modern society today is that the virtue of tolerance has been adopted and taken to the extreme. Tolerance has always been understood as tolerating a person despite their behavior, whereas now it's sort of taken as you tolerate a person and everything they do. So, so we have to keep that in mind, first of all. And then the other thing I would say is, and I often use this as an analogy, it's not the perfect analogy, um, but a good way to think about it is parents raising a child. Parents always try to do the best thing for their children. You know, their children often get upset and demand certain things which they think will make them happy. But the parents always know that, you know, their children, are, they're young and they don't always understand that certain actions are not going to result in their happiness. So, you know, the church is kind of in a similar position. We, we actually come across sounding harsh sometimes, but it's, it's out of love for that person. It's out of love to see that, that person develop and grow, into a, grow to their full potential. Has the church offered enough support to gay Catholics? I don't think so. I mean, there is there's certain programs and pastoral organisations. Uh, one that comes to mind is Courage which was set up to help homosexual people in the church. It, but it, as far as I know, it only reaches out to homosexual people who strive to live a Catholic life, who strive to live a chaste life. Beyond that, I, I think the church could probably do better. And it, but to be honest, it's really up to all of us. You know, it, It's the ordinary everyday Catholic that interacts with homosexual people outside the church. So we're the ones that can actually take this message to them. How are, we, uh, how are we going with that? Well, look, it's hard to say. I mean, I would say probably not very well because as soon as we try and explain our position, it's like I said before, we come across as sounding as though we're judging them and we, we hate them. And as soon as sometimes as soon as someone hears that you're a Catholic, that's all that's needed to immediately make them switch off. So it's not easy. Yeah, no, it's certainly not easy. I, I like what you say about love, though, Paul. I think there uh, that is very needful, and I I think Pope Francis is a he is beloved. I mean, even of atheists, they say you have a good pope. Exactly, and I th that's the perfect example. Actually, if if we could all look at the way Pope Francis delivers his message, he never condemns anyone. He always 
anything he does or says is full of compassion. And the point he highlighted about not speaking or not never having the need to speak about abortion and contraception and homosexuality all the time, I think that's what he's saying. We don't need to go straight to the issue. We can first help the person and bring them to the church. Anything else we can do for them, we can do further down the track. Mm, I, I, it is interesting, uh, this idea of pastoral care for the gay community, because we often speak from the moral standpoint. You were saying that there, but not so much, you know, the feet on the ground kind of thing, Mother Teresa style ministry, really yes. engaged with the community, that kind of thing. You see Jesus in the faces of your, you know, your community. What were you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, there are good, well-intentioned Catholics out there who are perhaps too fundamental, and they judge yeah. they judge these kind of people instead of understanding they themselves as Christians with their faith have a you know have an obligation to help these people and not judge them. And a lot of the time, they are judging them. They're not they're not actually helping the person in the long run. We all have so, difficulties. We all have difficulties. I, for example, have been writing like a constant background symphony of coughs for our viewers, listeners rather, which I think they must really enjoy. Paul, um, you were saying that there is a kind of fundamentalism sometimes uh, in the approach of uh, maybe well-meaning Catholics with their gay colleagues, um, say, at work or at uni. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I often observe that in their enthusiasm to live their faith and, um, you know, take the message of their faith to other people. They, they come across as very judgmental and they, mm. they tend to explain their position in terms of a religious stance, which is understandable given that that's where they're coming from. But I think what we can do is attempt to explain some of our beliefs from a more rational, secular point of view. Because one of the things I've noticed um, when talking to people is that they seem to think that personal religious beliefs are independent and separate from a a rational or medical scientific explanation of something. But, you know, religious beliefs are never arbitrary. They always have a rational um, understanding, that, which is why we have them. If we can explain our, our own religious beliefs from a more rational point of view and or even a more real-world point of view that other people can understand, then that's, that's the first step, I think, to showing that our beliefs just aren't personal, they just aren't arbitrary, they actually have a concrete, rational reason um, that we live by them. And maybe that they are grounded in the real world, so that when we say, for example, contraception is bad, we also mean it's bad for you. It's not exactly, just, yep. You know, theoretically exactly. bad. And, and too often I hear people uh, outside the church saying that, you know, they use words like good and bad as if we're doing something because it is good, and we don't want to do it because it is bad. But the whole reason we have beliefs, religious beliefs, and the way we live our life is because we believe it's in not only our best interests, but it's in the best interests of the whole community and other people. So if we can couch our arguments in that terms, I think that goes a long way to helping people understand why we believe what we believe. Why we believe what we believe. So it's not just this is an idea, but... Exactly. Maybe there are consequences for a life lived in, an, in a non-church, in a non-Catholic way. And as an example of that, if you look at the issue of abortion, that's certainly not an arbitrary belief that we hold as Catholics. The whole reason we are against abortion is because we know that 
it's, it's taking an innocent life, first of all. And we know that when you take an innocent life, that does damage to a person's soul. We know a woman who aborts her child runs the risk of both physical and mental um, you know, pain and disability in the long run. It lowers her yeah. chances of falling pregnant again. So there's all these real-world explanations we can provide as well. Well, I want to bring us back on track now uh, to – and I have, just, I have just called this the gaze. I'm sure I have offended everyone, you know, just every, every kind of good taste. Now, uh, this is my question. This is one I've heard. I hear it often on, like, um, talkback radio. I hear it on American liberal – like liberal with a small L, you know, like leftist, you know, talk shows like Bill Maher, for example, I think that's a name, Glenn Beck, not so much. Uh, and, and it's this, how does the union of one pair of people, be they two men or two women, destroy a whole society? I've never understood that. Why does it destroy marriage, for example? Well, first point I'd say to that is it isn't marriage. So the relationship between two people of the same sex is not the same as a relationship between two people of the opposite sex. First point I would make, though, is that, you know, you just got to look at the relationship between a male and a female. It's very different. It's very unique. It's the only kind of relationship that is open to children. So then you've got to ask ourselves, well, if, if this is the way God intended it, then it must be a good thing for us. And to go against that plan means that it's not a good thing for us. The other point I would make is that, you know, children, children don't have any say in this, but surely they have the right to know their own mother and father. By, by allowing children to be raised by, um, you know, two men or two women, we're really denying them a fundamental right to know their own parents. Yes, okay, all right. So it's going to be difficult for the children... But then there's this idea that there's some kind of kind of like an infection somehow, like an infection that goes to the source. So, for example, if one person does something that I think is wrong, we're claiming that it corrupts the whole idea. Somehow marriage is being undermined. Yeah, I, I don't think – well, infection is probably not the right kind of word. I I think I'd rather describe it as those type of relationships are not living up to our full potential. So when you look at, from a Catholic point of view, a person's life is ultimately about sacrifice. It's about living a life that somehow betters other people around them. Now, in the case of marriage, when a man and a woman come together, they're sacrificing their own individual lives to raise their children. So something greater than the two of them is coming from that union. When you look at a homosexual relationship, there's no possibility for that. There's, the concept of sacrifice is not to the same extent that you see it in a in a traditional marriage. So it's it's more about. Oh, that living. is. I want to say careful there, Paul, because there are so many examples of gay couples who have been together for many years and uh, who seem to have stuck it out. Uh, they would be happy to tell you that hey, you know we're. We're doing pretty well. We we are in embodying sacrifice. We've had disagreements, but we're faithful and loyal to one another and we've built a life together. Right, but the whole purpose of marriage is something greater than itself. So in the case of a man and a woman, it's children, raising children and having a family. 
I'm not denying that two homosexual people can come together and they can live together a good life and help each other. But it's not the same. It's not in the same proportion as what a marriage is. In a marriage, you have how's that? Well, you really in a in a traditional marriage, you really have that union bringing forth new life. And we have to remember that married people, it's not just about their own family. It's also about the community they live in. So the way they live their life and the children they bring up affects the whole community and the future of that community. That's not the same with a homosexual couple, not to the same extent anyway. It's more about the two people living together. There's nothing beyond that, not to the same extent in traditional marriage anyway. Does the church not recommend that, hey, you guys are living together, we're not big fans of your kind of sexual relationship, but you can be great friends, you know? So is there no... that I have heard that. <laughs> I put it a little bit. I put it well, I think. But I have heard it said that, you know, the church can go ahead and endorse a kind of better living arrangement that it is more comfortable with. So is there no good to be found in gay relationships? Well, there's no potential, I guess, is, is the word I come back to again. That It's about, uh, you know, living in a way that is, that is real and, and leads to something real. Now, in the case of a same-sex relationship, it's not the two people involved in that relationship aren't using sex the way it is intended to be used. That's the whole point. So they can be good people, they can love each other, they can live a good life, they can be good to the people around them, but they're not living in the way God intended. That's the point. Mm. All right, Paul. It's it. That's it now for me and Paul Sheehan. Plenty of other great podcasts on Cradio that you should be consuming, listener. But for us here on Conversations with Catholic Voices, it's lots of issues in the moral, political and theological spheres that we're going to be facing in uh, the upcoming chats. Tough questions need good answers. Stay tuned for more next time in our Conversation with Catholic Voices. Thank you for your time, Paul. No worries, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. You've been listening to Conversations with Catholic Voices. That was Daniel Noor speaking with Paul Sheehan of Catholic Voices Australia. Stay tuned for more episodes at cradio.org.au and for more information on Catholic Voices Australia, visit catholicvoices.org.au.